HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. The great state of Wisconsin is home to the only master cheesemaking program outside of Switzerland. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. This week on Meat and 3, we're telling the stories behind iconic dishes. We learn what it will take to save New York's most famous egg cream, discover the importance of the goat neck in the East Village, and take a trip to India for delicious flatbreads. Our customers who come in to get egg creams and t-shirts, they love to talk about their childhood or their teenage years or their college years. I was living in uh, Nepal in northern India, and out there there's a real famous dish, a classic dish I should say, it's called paya. Parathe Wali Gali, or as it awkwardly translates in English, the lane of the stuffed flatbread makers, is probably one of the most popular food streets in Old Delhi. Tune in to Meet in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I'm very confident that every single one of them is tuning into Tech Bites, the weekly show where we look at the intersection of food and technology. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, the host and producer of Tech Bites. And today we have a very special guest. I always say that. I'm always excited by my guests that I have in studio. But my guest today comes from very far away. She comes from Paris, France. So she maybe wins the furthest guest award. Joining us today is Apollonia Poilin, who is visiting New York on the debut of her first book, The Secrets of the World Famous Bread Bakery. If you've ever been to Paris, um, I'm sure if you're a foodie and you, or you're well-traveled and you read the guidebooks, Poilin is definitely one of the places that you stop at to get something to eat when you go. Their famous bread is like a giant round French sourdough bread that is actually um, keeps very well. So they ship it around the world and people bring it home in suitcases. Apollonia, thank you for coming, making time in your schedule. Thank you for your invitation. I'm very excited about this. And uh, Apollonia and I had a wonderful conversation on the phone last week to sort of workshop the episode. 
And we think so much of technology as being the future or the next thing. And we often forget that sometimes past technology and past innovations were so great and so monumental that it's hard to improve on them. So through our conversation, we titled this episode Retro Innovation, which is sort of looking back to look forward, I think. But before we do that, before we dig in to the meat of the bread, we will start the show like we always do. I'm curious to hear what her answer is to this question because she's from a different country. Apollonia, what's your favorite app right now? <laughs> so my favorite app right now that has been my favorite app for a little while now. A little it, while, like 10 years since you got your first phone? or n- um, More like f- four years since okay. I last changed my, my phone. <laughs> it's a train app. It gives all the uh, train schedules for European trains. I have um, a, fr- a landscape f- uh, gardener friend who's Swiss. And he gave me the link to this app. Um, and the Swiss have... It's called SBB, um, and um, you can download the train schedules, I think, of the world, but at least all of Europe. And being Paris-based, going to London, where I have a bakery for almost 20 years, and loving to go and escape on weekends um, or European travels, that app has been, like, my um, planner. So tell us... Tell us the name of the app again. I'm going to look it up right now and see. And it's kind of amazing that it's the Swiss, known for their (laughs) timekeeping, who are the ones who have created the ultimate train time schedule app. It's sort of like perfect symmetry there. Mm -hmm. If only the Swiss could actually run the trains. I came in on the L, and we all know what a non-accurate time schedule that train runs on. Um, So the name of the app? It's SBB, and I think that's the... Swiss German uh, wording for um, the 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 train um, SBB Mobile exactly oh cheap tickets and train information so so the tickets only work for for Switzerland um, but um, but the, um, the 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 app um, gives you mm-hmm. there it is the French schedule the UK schedule the Belgium schedule I went. Um, to the Netherlands um, recently to go on a cycling trip, found found the schedule, um, and it's just, yeah. So it's called Swiss Travel Guide. Never miss a highlight Swiss Travel System AG Switzerland by train, bus, and boat is one on the SBB CFFFFS website. And I think that's that's just the different names of the Swiss train system in French, Italian, and Swiss German. <laughs> Amazing. Um, and then there is another app, correct? So the app, the SBBCFFFFS app, is the timetable app. So they have two options. Fantastic. And they're also free, which we love. Traveling around Europe by train is, is something that's really wonderful. We don't quite have as much train travel in the US as we used to. Um, which is maybe unfortunate. Anyway, I'm sure you didn't come here by train, though. You came on an airplane. Yes? Yeah, last time I checked. <laughs> <laughs> so as I said at the top of the show, Apollonia is here. Is this the first stop in your book tour? It is. I just landed in New York, and I am 
so looking forward to the next two weeks and the opportunity to share bread um, on various uh, occasions and opportunities. Well, to get ready for this show, I read through the book and I also went back and listened to an episode that I did um, in, back in October of 2017 with Nathan Mirvold um, on his Modernist Bread book. And the total bread immersion over the past few days has really made me hungry for bread, which I've tried to sidetrack myself knowing that we would be at Roberta's and have pizza, which is bread derivative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But it really made me hungry thinking about it. Um, you are the third generation at the, would you call it a boulangerie? I know that in the English title it says bread bakery, but is yeah. that boulangerie? It's boulangerie, for sure. Okay. Third generation, your grandfather Pierre opened it in 1932. And my first question is, if he opened his own boulangerie in 1932, he must have been baking prior to that. Was he generationally the son of a, a, of a boulanger baker? also? Because many of these things typically, especially in France, tend to be familial and multi-generation. Yeah, so, so my grandfather started the baking tradition for our family. But we were not that far away because we were farmers. Um, so we went from field to baking, basically, uh, around the time of my grandfather. So you're absolutely right. When my grandfather started the bakery on Huit Rue du Cherche Midi, um, he had been traveling around France, and specific, more specifically the south of France, um, working in various bakeries and then eventually opening his own bakery in the heart of Paris. Now, Saint-Germain-des-Prés at that time was an up-and-coming area filled with artists and craftsmen, and his thing was... Writers. That's the sort of whole lost generation for Americans, the Hemingways, yeah, the yeah. Fitzgeralds, all the artists the, who were Absolutely. in that neighborhood at that time. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 you know, look, I'm 35 today, but I remember as a kid seeing just the last... Um, the last uh, workshops, um, lighting stores. Um, there still are a few artisans and craftsmen. There's certainly many artist studios still, but it's, um, um, it's, it's in, it, it really is an area in the center of Paris that, ha that is very unique. And um, we take a lot of pride in being uh, Saint -Germain de, from Saint-Germain-des-Prés. The, the shop on Cherchemizy, is that the original shop then? It's, if you've never visited, I, I recommend anybody who's going to be in Paris to go by the shop. It's surprisingly tiny. It's, it's French. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, the the um, Heritage Radio Network studios are two sh uh, repurposed shipping containers, you know, like giant steel boat shipping containers, and they are put together in the shape of an L, and one side is the... Um, what we call the green room, and I'm using very large asterisks around that, the um, engineering booth, and then the studio. And I would say that, you know, when you walk into the shop, it's maybe like the size of this. It's oh, yeah, tiny, absolutely. and you have the little counter, and then the bread behind it. I'm assuming there's something underneath and above. Well, exactly. So, 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 Ritri du Cherche Midi is this, like, tiny store and you have you come into this brick clad facade and you have the bread on your left and our biscuits and um, other uh, um, um, products dry products to the right you have a counter where you will uh, be able to pay for your for your order and then if you peek into the back you'll see the little back room which serves as an office 
um, serves as our breakfast room um, and our prep room. And yes, in the basement we have the oven, um, our wood-fired uh, brick oven, which allows us to bake throughout the day and fit as best as we can the production's needs. So when or the that, sales needs, rather. When that shop was opened back in 1932, is that the original oven from yep. that period in time? Yep. And at that period in time, was that the best of modern technology? Was that the newest, latest, greatest oven for bread baking? Or was it just a new version of an old model? Yeah, so yes and no. Um, electrical ovens, as they've been making their way um, have slowly replaced the types of ovens that we've had. I'm not sure how old our wood-fired oven is, um, but it's 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 the kind of beasts that you build and that you maintain after that. So when people ask me how old um, the oven is, I like to joke picking the latest update or um, work we've done on it. So last um, this you know last month in September, m- one of them. One of the aspects of the door uh, to the oven uh, was broken. So I literally said this last week. I said, "Well, you know, this is a, this m- oven is a month old, which clearly people can tell is not <laughs> the case." But back in its day, ovens like those were just a, were were becoming were just coming out of fashion. Um, and the reason why my grandfather liked them so much is because it provides a really dry heat. Um, and it makes for a bread that has, um, will have um, a thicker crust, less, a little bit less moist, which I think helps it keep longer, but I think also just, just creates a, a, a dough texture that's, um, that's less wet, literally. Um, on the outside, but on the inside, the bread is very moist. So it almost seems counterintuitive. So it's very moist, but it's not. It doesn't have the wetness that mm-hmm. some um, that some some breads have. So it's 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 like our, our you know. I, and I and I was trying to find a visual um, cue to describe my loaves. So in the book, I described them as these big hugs of bread, mm-hmm. because, well, I was catering clearly to an American audience, but in my family, we love to hug people. And so um, and so I thought that that was the volume, that it represented the shape and volume of our, of our bread. And so our breads are thick crusts and have a dense um, uh, crumb that makes for great sandwiches um, or a tartine, an open-faced sandwich. That's just a side note. Um, before we get back to the technology for making the bread back in 1932, I was fascinated by the bread sandwich recipe in the book, (laughs) (laughs) which is exactly as it sounds. It is two slices of toasted buttered bread with a slice of fresh, non-toasted, non-buttered bread in the middle, Mm -hmm. which sounds just crazy to me. But then when I was reading the description of it, I also really wanted one (laughs) (laughs) so so this recipe actually stems from a wink that my father liked to make about saying you know when bread is really good you could really use it as something to sustain you and bear in mind that in the early 20th century in France an average uh, French person would eat almost 900 grams of bread how many baguettes is that a baguette is by law 250 grams something Um, like that 
there's various forms, but that would be roughly that would be around four four of the longer breads. Um, that would be about half of my loaf of bread. Um, so yeah, it's like a lot of bread, but it speaks as to the place. Um, and, and bear in mind that people wouldn't have eaten four baguettes. Uh, it would have been more of the the country style breads uh, back in the day. But so so you would have. Um, um, that amount of bread that was really meant to sustain you. And that's, I think, accounted for the success of my grandfather in the, in the 30s because the artists and craftsmen needed bread that kept um, and bread that would sustain their workday. So the sandwich, while clearly in, intended as a wink, it's also something, you know, there is, it, it, there is actually food for thought in there. Um, you, if you, If you have bread that will sustain you, using it as a filler will actually make sense. And the bread itself made from the flour, it, flour, water, starter, salt. salt. Flour, water, salt, and sourdough. So a piece of dough from one batch, which we use as a starter for the following batch, adding water, flour, and salt to it. So back in 1932, the way the loaves were made and baked, how different is that from the way the loaves are made and baked today? Well, not all that different because... And in preparation of, of, our, of our meeting today, we, the, the two of us discussed how in the greater s- history of, of bread baking, the past hundred years have, you know, really are Drop nothing. Drop in the bucket. Yeah. And, and so I say this because we've been experimenting with electrical ovens, um, yeasts, um, in, in, you know, like as a profession, but these are relatively new inventions, right? Um, and my my grandfather started his wheat sourdough recipe and probably perfected it um, enough that when my father uh, apprenticed on Huitre du Cherche Midi and when I apprenticed um, later on, that recipe was pretty stable. So, and we love to test and try different things and m- Understanding that we more likely than not will not revolutionize the recipe, but better understand why it is made that way. One of the reasons why I went back to listen to the Nathan Mirvold episode, which if people want to go back and listen to it as well, it's episode 114. He His book, Modernist Bread, is actually five volumes. It's 2,500 pages. I think there's something like 1,500 recipes in it. And part of the conversation that we have about his interest in the history of bread is the history of bread is very much the history of, of humankind and civilization. And initially, you know, archaeologists and historians had put bread's arrival you know, on the dinner table at somewhere around, you know, 25,000 years ago until very recently, uh, Canadian uh, archaeologists discovered in some caves of Mozambique some grinding bowls that had sorghum flour in them. And when you have grinding bowls or stones and flour, then that means they were making some sort of bread-like object. Otherwise, you wouldn't be grinding grains to flour. And those caves and artifacts date to 100,000 years ago, which now puts bread in a very, very old place in time. And then, you know, when you think about it, the grinding stones that they use today to mill flour probably have not changed all that much. 
They haven't. But it really is an interesting, if you follow the history of bread, um, you really do have a history of sort of the different innovations of civilization, grinding, fire, um, agriculture to grow the grains. Bringing people together. And Mm -hmm. that's, I think, I mean, one of the reasons, um, or one of the... I love Nathan's book because I, I think that if anyone... Um, only him could really go at um, having a very um, passionate but not involved in the craft it's on scientific. a daily basis. And scientific, has exactly. A, he, he delights in it, but he has a very scientific mind. So he goes he after does. it in a very Dry research, way, but academic I, kind of way. Exactly. I'm, I'm failing to find the right words, but I think, I think your auditors can probably imagine what we're saying. And, and so... Yeah, like for me, one of the one of the reasons why I like my craft so much is because it interconnects people um, and people from various horizons. But as you said, like is if you orchestrate, I mean, bearing in mind that bread has been in one shape or form or another has fed us for generations and years. generations. Hundred thousand years. It's such a great human connector. Has there been any technology that you have changed? Have you installed anything new or newfangled? Any, I don't know, digital scales or packaging you now ship to 40 countries around the world? Do you use, is all your technology just in the um, packaging and distribution perhaps now? Yeah, so, so all of the above. And one that I, um, um, when my father, uh, we did, um, um, he, like, updated the the bakery and it's uh the the shop and stuff he installed an elevator for the bread and i remember him telling me very proudly in the mid 90s i'm so happy that i'm going to be able to use um an elevator now to bring up the bread because as an apprentice i had to bring it up every day and so it's going to make such a drastic change for the team but yes there's also beyond the bread baking process there's also the packaging. How do we find an organization that helps us simplify the packaging so that we can focus on the quality of what we do? What do you have to do to bread to package it to be able to ship it around the world but maintain that its, its form? Delivery, food delivery is a very popular topic right now in the social world, in the food tech world, you know, all the delivery services now. Um, one of the big challenges for restaurants is how do you put, you know, food that's meant to be served in a dining room immediately going from the kitchen to the table, how do you put that into a container and have it sit for a half hour, 45 minutes before it gets to the person? Well, in this case, the bread would be really the center of attention. And our loaves, you know, were never meant to be eaten in the bakery itself. So they were always thought through to... Um, to take home so that's so that puts then the focus on the packaging and I would say to that effect that one of my favorite things when I work in the bakehouse is um, taking lo- my loaf of bread to bring back home and especially in the winter and just put it against my stomach and zip it up under my <laughs> jacket to keep me warm uh, but the packaging would but be before important. you put it zip it into your jacket do you wrap it in paper? Does it I go do. into the canvas bag? What's the optimum so, so transportation? The, so vessel? there are different there are different things, but we've been we've been using different types types of paper um, for that um, allow for 
enough breathability. But um, and when we ship the bread, um, we double wrap it. We also um, like our bread to be thoroughly cooked so that it can create also within the product a seal because in bread as it ages it can go either two ways it can mold because it's too humid or it becomes stale because it's too dry but the larger the volume the more time it takes for air to get to the crumb and dry it out so having a thick crust having a thoroughly cooked bread will help that and the wood-fired stove is the best way to do that for our recipe, yes. Have you tried the electric stove? We've tried it uh, for some for our loaves, and it doesn't work as well because our recipe was perfected for this kind of oven. Interesting. And you were talking about you were talking about elec- um, electronic scales. Mm-hmm. So we use a Roman scale, and it's not so much that we're weighing the pieces Describe of bread. what a Roman scale is, because my yes. guess is not yes. many of our listeners have them on their kitchen counters. We have <laughs> oh. an electric scale on our kitchen counter. Sometimes yeah. we have two, but so, we I, I don't think we have a Roman scale. So what I call a Roman scale is really a low-tech, two plates <laughs> that are hold with, um, um, held by um, three little chains and set apart by... A metal rod. So an actual balance an with actual the balance. weights. With so the you, weights. You put one item on one side and the weights on the other, and then when they balance out, that's how you know how exactly. much it weighs. But what we're, so we sell the bread by weight, so we're not trying to aim for the gram, ex- unless we're on the small uh, hand rolls. In that case, we do have an, you know, uh, an electronic scale. But we, when we're cutting out the volume of the bread loaf out of the bread box. The baker effectively weighs it by eye and by habits. The scale or the balance really serves to control that. And we recently did a test where we used an electronic scale to see the impact of that if we managed to be more precise. Um, And what we found was that we were so focused by the number that we doubled the scaling time and effectively ruined the fermentation. So it didn't work. And what we learned from that was that it really, like, we think that it really is about the wording. So when we're saying we're scaling the loaf, we're really not, it's not about the weight. We're actually just controlling with the balance that the bread loaf is the right weight. Interesting. Took more time to be, to use technology. Well, we are going to take a little bit of time right now to find out who the sponsor is of this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? That means we're kind of like public radio, and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that 90% of Wisconsin's milk is made into cheese? And this is not just any milk. When Swiss, German, and Italian cheesemakers first settled into Wisconsin, they chose their new home because of the special terroir of the region. Its soil and water are nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. 
Today, Wisconsin produces 25% of all cheeses made in the U.S., and Wisconsin cheeses have won more awards than any other state or country in the world. How do they do it? Wisconsin cheesemakers combine their heritage and tradition with nonstop innovation. They were the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. Wisconsin is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of these impeccably high standards mean Wisconsin produces more than 48% of the nation's specialty cheese. Join Heritage Radio Network on Monday, November 11th for a raucous feast to toast a decade of food radio. Our 10th anniversary Bacchanal is a rare gathering of your favorite chefs, mixologists, storytellers, thought leaders, and culinary masterminds. We'll salute the inductees of the newly minted HRN Hall of Fame, who embody our mission to further equity, sustainability, and deliciousness. Explore the beautiful Palm House and Yellow Magnolia Cafe. Taste and imbibe to your heart's content, and bid on once-in-a-lifetime experiences and tasty gifts for any budget at our silent auction. Tickets available now at heritageradionetwork.org slash gala. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. Do you have an idea for a show? Are you an innovator or a founder of an amazing new piece of food technology? Reach out and get in touch with us. We are very interactive. You can find us online and social media at Tech Bytes HRN. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We'd love to hear from you. You never know. We've had lots of listeners on the show and great suggestions from people around the world. If you would like to meet me or any of the other Heritage Radio Network hosts, engineers, staff, we are having a gala on Monday, November 11th. It is to celebrate our 10th anniversary. That is an entire decade of food radio thousands and thousands and thousands of episodes in the archives. We are going to hold the gala at the Brooklyn Botanic Garden. It's a beautiful space at night and in the fall. You can find tickets at heritageradionetwork.org backslash gala. And if you use the code TechBytes, you will get a discount. I will be there. Most of the other hosts will be there. We have DJ Cherish the Love who will be playing. We have silent auction, lots of food and drink, and it will be a really wonderful event. So I hope you will all join us, and I will get to meet some of my listeners in person. But today, who I have in person in the studio with us is Apollonia Poilin. She's third generation of the amazing bakery in Paris, Poilin, which I'm sure many of you have been to. She is here on the occasion of publishing her first cookbook. And is it the first Poilin book also? It's not the first Poilin book, but it's the first English language one. Okay. And I'm sure that's and mostly I'm super what proud of people, that. I'm sure that's mostly what most of the listeners really care about. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find out more about Poilin, go to poilin.com. That's P-O-I-L-A-N-E. 
can find them on social media at Pain Poilane. That's P-A-I-N-P-O-I-L-A-N-E. If you want to follow Apollonia, she is at Apollonia underscore Poilane. So the bakery in Paris, Boulangerie, was opened in 1932, and it sounds like you haven't really changed that much of the process for making the bread since then. Have you um, mixers? Have you gone to modern mixers? Have, do you use the proofing cabinets? Do you use so we anything that's different we, from 1932? I mean, we definitely have a new mixer. We don't have a 1932 mixer, um, but we don't use the proofing cabinets. Um, we really enjoy to see how our loaves naturally interact with the environment. And that's just because it's, it's something that, you know, that's alive and that we want to be able to foster. The it's environment natural. gives something back to exactly. the bread. But when I'm saying to you, not much has changed. What you don't see is, or what you see is the tip of the iceberg of all of the works that we've done to make sure that we shouldn't change those things. And that conversation between past techniques and contemporary techniques is what my father called retro innovation. So using the best of past techniques and questioning them at present with contemporary techniques to feed, to nurture the future. I think one of the interesting things you said in the first half of the show is that the Poilin bread was perfected in the environment of the shop on Cherchemidi. So that oven, that environment to rise. I'm sure, you know, the flowers that you had at that point in time. So something that's been perfected for a very specific set of circumstances, if you want to maintain that product, it raises a good question. How much can you change the circumstance around it and still arrive at the same product? I'd be curious to know... Um, over the years, um, how have how have the ingredients changed? I mean, I mean they, they change every season. Um, the flour we use, and we've been working with our fly, flour um, millers, and for most of them, they're gro- farmers and growers for generations now. So every year, as we work on the blend of flour, and I use the word blend in reference to the coffee culture, you or know, champagne or something or champagne. like that, or wine. Absolutely. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> um, we, work on, um, we work on that blend with them, and that's what creates a similarity, and yet accounting for different years, different crops, different um, weather conditions, and that continuity and that conversation... And our choices is what has fostered our tradition. I don't know that people really think that much about the necessity of having everything sort of be exactly the same to produce something that's exactly the same over time. It's one of the challenges of being a great restaurant. Um, You know, to be a truly great restaurant and get a great review, not only do you have to make an amazing meal, but you have to make that amazing meal exactly that amazing every single, for every single diner, every single day at every single service and baking, you know, one iconic, very well-known loaf of bread for, you know, 90 years? 88 years next year. 88 years? 88 years in 2020. (laughs) That's a long time to think about that, you know, I, 
know, consistency of, you know, flour and water and salt and things like that just over time. Um, there have to be slight variations. Yeah, and consistency, consistency doesn't mean it's exactly the same. And as you say, there are slight variations. And even from, you know, one batch to the next, and that's the beauty of our craft is that, and that's why in, in the training program we have internally, what we train our bankers to do for nine months is essentially attuning their five senses to adapting um, to the weather's conditions, the seasonal's conditions. Um, and that's, those are all things that contribute to a consistency, but consistency doesn't mean it's exactly the same. And in fact, the fact that we are able to keep that consistency, but at the same time allow it to evolve it. I mean, I can give you the example of how we've changed a couple of, um, of months, almost a few years now, um, our... Um, our logo, and um, and it was both greeted with a lot of positive reactions, but a lot of people didn't notice, and that was such, I mean, you know, that was very, that, those were two really positive feedbacks we got, because we were thinking, like, we're, like, you know, like, I don't, like, for me, consistency doesn't mean we're static. To feed consistency or to feed a balance, you need you need to fuel it. You need to nurture it so that it stays in that balance. It sounds like the most important piece of technology in your shop are the actual bakers who are really, you know, honing their craft and, you know, using their observation and their skills to create, you know, the bread day to day. People are very difficult to reproduce and replicate, though. How has it been maintaining a staff of artisan bakers have you seen a uptick a down drop in people interested in learning this profession how how do you see it going forward in terms of having the people to train to be better than the scale yeah well apprenticeship is part of the answer surely um the sharing of a love and passion for a craft from one generation of bakers to the next and then each each generation has their own um, skill set, their own specificities. Uh, we have bakers that are amazing at doing bread decorations. We have bakers that are fantastic out about teaching. And I think it's about that the diversity of skill sets um, and that allows us, and, and also the fact that we have been a family business since 1932 that's developed its retailers network. So we do have a team that work together for that. Do you have a lot of applications for people who want to come and be apprentice bakers at Polo? We definitely do have applications and um, and it's... The staff is something that um, people in the food and restaurant world in this country find very challenging, especially in urban areas. And it's challenging everywhere, but... My colleagues, um, and I call uh, my colleagues uh, in baking compagnon because we share a craft and a know-how. Um, and, you know, there's the etymology of the words. That's someone with whom you share bread. But beyond that, we also share a tradition. So for a person who's going to pick up the book and maybe do some baking at home, what type of equipment and, you know, technology do they need at their house? Not much. Okay. A bowl, um, okay. maybe a fork, and your hands. Boy, your hands are the most sophisticated and most 
beautiful tool you can imagine. And my parents, in choosing the word manufacture, back in the early 80s, when they created my mom as an architect and my father as a baker, a place where we could produce bread for our retailers network so there's 24 ovens one next to the other and it really operates like four independent bakeries like just in one spot they chose the word manufacture to reflect the fact that our hands are the most important tool in baking so if you pick up this book to bake breads just wash your hands and get baking <laughs> what do you bake the flour what do you bake the bread in um well there's many methods. Um, I started using a crock pot. Um, so that sounds slightly um, blasphemous. A crock pot, like an actual plug-in crock pot? No, um, sorry, I'm probably using the bad word. Um, like a le creuset. Um, oh, okay. So um, like a Dutch oven. A Dutch oven. So a um, a deep a marmite. That's what the yeah. word we would so use. So like in a French. cast iron with a lid, exactly. or a Dutch oven with a lid. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, and, and I literally went into um, the cupboard, at, you know, working on the recipe for the book. I was discussing and having different uh, friends um, test the recipes. And one friend suggested something that I know has been popular in the U.S. And so I pulled out my parents' pot from the Creuset and just like put my loaf in and it helped tremendously. Mm-hmm. It's it's super hard to bake bread at home. And the reality is that as a baker, I have my bakehouse. So I enjoy nothing more than working in the bakehouse to make my loaf of bread. But when at home, that was my choice. So you need your hands to make the dough. What do you put the dough in to let it rise? So you can use one of our wicker baskets that are covered in linen. Mm-hmm. And um, I... Intestine, just use a colander and um, a loose weave linen. Like kitchen towel, kitchen like a towel. torchon or something yep. like that. Oh, Absolutely. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. So a colander, because it has um, it has the air, yep. it's perforated, yep. and then you line the colander with a, a kitchen towel yep. or some sort of linen napkin or something, and then you let it rise in there. Exactly. That's a very clever hack if you don't have the... Um, the wicker basket. Canvas lined wicker yeah. basket. Yeah. And or the wooden one for that, for that matter. I, I, yeah, that was, that was. It's a very good idea. And then you put it into the Dutch oven mm-hmm. or the Le Creuset and then you bake it and then voila. Yep. That sounds easy enough. And then you need to make two kinds of bread if you want that bread sandwich. <laughs> you should. So my father did that bread sandwich recipe with the intent of using just our wheat sourdough bread. But taking his idea a little bit beyond that, um, I thought, well, my rye and raisin bread, the rye flour has a distinctive flavor, different taste. So why not use that? And for that matter, if you use the rye and raisin or current um, slice of that bread or my wheat bread with walnuts inside, then you have an entirely different thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to cook with this book, not bread, but what I call bread cooking, which is using bread as an ingredient... Just go full force on exploration. Like, that's that's the best thing you can do with this book. And by all means, grab a bunch of sticky notes and just, like, write down all of your different options and the different tests and trials and, and you know, and, and make, make that book your own through that way. Well, it's a lovely book. Um, I encourage uh, people who are interested in bread and also just interested, I think, in really nice French cooking. There's some great recipes like a croque monsieur and things like that. Mm -hmm. 
um, in it, which are, you know, of course, A Taste of France. I do not recommend that you read the book or look at any of this online if you're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> it's been very torturous doing all this research, and we're going we're gonna to end the show right now so we can go have pizza and maybe some of the um, hot bread from the pizza oven with the stracciatella. But before we go, I want to make sure everybody has all the information. It is Secrets of the World Famous Bread Bakery, Poilin, by Apollonia Poilin. Find it online, poilin.com. You can find them on social media, at Pam Poilin. You can follow Apollonia at Apollonia Poilin. If you want to hear Nathan Mirvel talk about the history of bread, he's a fascinating interview and a lot of fun. That's episode 114 of Tech Bites. I also have a couple of interesting episodes. If you're fascinated by the idea of retro innovation or ancient technology or old tech for modern cooking, um, I have a couple of interesting episodes, 131, which is tech-enabled culinary history, which is a goodie, and also episode 132, which is ancient food tech. It's not alien, but it's still old. Uh, Apollonia, thank you for joining us all the way from Paris. We're happy to be one of your first stops on your book tour. Do you have any uh, bread shops or restaurants or things on your list in New York or in the country? Well, all of this week, um, my bread will be at Lafayette. And oh, very nice. I'm super excited about um, about that. Um, so that's Lafayette. That's the Andrew Carmelini restaurant on Lafayette in downtown Manhattan. Absolutely. Um, it's a beautiful, big, sort of classic French-style brasserie-type affair. And, and I'm th- thank you for, for greeting me and giving me the opportunity to share my love and passion. Thank you. My pleasure. If you like this episode, come back and, and visit with us on Tuesday evenings at 6.15 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you love it and want to take it with you, we are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, all the good podcasting platforms. If you really, really love us, you know, come to the gala. Go to heritageradionetwork.org. Give us a little bit of a donation. Help us stay on the air for another 10 years. I want to thank Jeet, who was our engineer today. DJ Uptown Nico for our amazing little techno song called No Meta CPU Track, which is our theme. I'm Jennifer Leuzzi, and this is Tech Bytes. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please... Join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.